Would you go to Matthew 19 and 16? We'll pray again at the end of, of service. Thank you so much to our worship team. And God has been so good to our church, giving us the best serv- servants in our church to help with our services. And it wouldn't be possible without your help, without your worship. And I'm so thankful you're all here today. I, I prayed just a moment ago, God, let me have the words to say. Let me deliver the words and do your will like you would do. And I pray that this will be a blessing and a help today. We're on our salvation series, and today has been a day I have been waiting for for a very long time. It's a topic that I knew would be very challenging to speak about, and the topic is, will good people be saved? This is a very difficult topic because of the majority of people in our, especially our nation, they feel like because they're good that they will be saved. And we need to talk about this today because if, if I care about you, then we have to talk about salvation the most. The most important topic you should hear at church is your salvation, not your money, not you having a lot of nice things. Your best life is not now. Your best life is later. And we've got to make sure we get there, y'all, or this is a complete waste of time. And so it has been mandated to me today to declare the word of the Lord on this topic, and I'm praying and believing that God will help us. Matthew 19 and 16, I believe it's the New King James Version that I am reading from. Now behold, one came and said to him, good teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? I want to do something good so that I can go to heaven. I want to do something good. It's not about becoming It's about doing. You're going to find out in this context that the man that is speaking is a good doer. The Bible calls him a ruler. The Bible says he is wealthy. He's used to getting up early in the morning and getting things done. He's used to growing his wealth. He's used to being good at what he does. He's thinking he can be saved by doing something good. And so he asked the question to Jesus, I know how to work hard. I know how to process things. I know if you'll just give me the instructions. Tell me what good thing I got to do to go to heaven. He wants to, he's a smart man. He wants to go to heaven. You've got to be dumb not to want to go to heaven. Everybody wants to go to heaven that's smart, right? He wants to go to heaven. He's a smart man. But look how he poses his question. What good thing? I want to just, I want a checklist. I want a law. I want a list of things I got to do good. I don't want to have to change who I am. I just want to know the good things I have to do to go to heaven. Pastor, give me the rules. I'll do them. This is the way we talk to God about salvation. This is the way the world talks about, about God and salvation. Well, but I did good things. That's what's happening here. Verse 17, so he said, why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. No one is good. Right here in the word of the Lord, I'm quoting you, Jesus Christ. No one is good. This is so pivotal right now. No one is good except who? Only God is truly good. But if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. You have to have commandments. You have to go by them. Okay. He said to him, which ones? Jesus replied in verse 18, don't murder. Check. 
Don't commit adultery. Check. Don't steal. Check. Don't bear false witness. Check. Honor your father and your mother. Check. Love your neighbor as yourself. Check. The young man then interrupted and said, I did all these things from my youth. Surely I'm saved now. Is there anything else for me? That's easy. I've done all that church stuff. I've lifted my hands. I've set my prayers. I did my fast. I checked the list off. Now what? And look what Jesus said. If you want to be perfect or complete, if you want to finish this, if you want to keep going to the end of your commandments, here's what you have to do. Go sell what you have. Give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. Verse 22, but when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Yeah. This today is the springboard we're going to launch off of to answer the question, will good people be saved? Everybody say in Jesus' name. You can be seated today, and I'm so glad once again you're here for your guests. Thank you for coming to our church. Our church is very unique, and we are in a very unique season, so thank you for coming, and I hope that we can be a blessing to you. The majority of humanity believes that being good in this life will reward good in the next life. The majority of humanity believes that. The majority of humanity simply believes that if I will do good things, I will have heaven as my reward. It sounds logical. Do good, get good. The problem with the do good, get good philosophy is that do bad, get bad would also be in that scenario. Not only do I do good things as a pastor, there's sometimes I do bad things. I don't want to get judgment for the bad things I do. I don't want things to be measured off of my performance because there's none good but God. If I measure my salvation off of goodness, it's impossible to be good enough. Because none is good. Is that good? Okay. <laughs> that's funny. I'm thinking like, none's good. And some of y'all, that's good. I'm like, wait, me? What? <laughs> I'm just kidding. I heard you. That's good. I agree. It sounds logical. It makes sense. We do bad. We know we get fines. We go to jail. We pay the price. Some people kill people They in Texas. They're going to kill you in Texas. Y'all better not kill nobody in Texas. Go kill somebody in California, but don't kill somebody in Texas. In Texas, they're going to they kill you here, all right? Texas don't play with stuff like that. So there are penalties for what you do wrong. We do bad things, there's consequences. We do bad things, we lose friends. We understand that if you do bad, you get bad. You do good, you get good. And we think that if we do good things, we're going to go to heaven. And we do bad things, we're not. Amen? We, am, I, am I telling the truth so far? Are we good? Okay. All right. The problem is not with the overall theory. The problem is with the definitions in the theory. What is the definition of good? We all have a different definition of what good is. I, I, I can prove it to you. All right? In and out is a good burger. Musicians, just go ahead and go home because nobody's going to pray after that. What a burger's trash. I don't care what Texans say about it. I'm not letting that Texas thing get a hold of me. I'm going to be true to myself, okay? 
<laughs> Especially after that rat fell in that grease and bass drop down the. We out. Where you at, Chick-fil-A? And don't even get me started on the Popeye's chicken sandwich versus the Chick-fil-A chicken sandwich. I can tell you how good the Popeye sandwich is. I hadn't even had it. That's a burn right there. Didn't even want to try it. Don't trust you. The definitions of good and bad are totally subjective to our perspectives. When you begin to measure your salvation off of your opinion of good, you become your own judge. So we have to have the definitions of good and bad, but whose definitions? Ours or, or whose? God's. God's. When we say that grandma was good, daddy was good, what does that mean? Why were the criminals on the news that ended up in jail or killed by law enforcement oftentimes eulogized as good people by some in the media. They have a rap sheet that goes way back. Just last week, someone accused them of beating somebody. But yet we say at their funeral, because they were killed by a police officer, they're good. It's an agenda that we have with this good word. We're subjective. We're emotional. We make stuff up because it fits our narrative. It gets us more money. We might win a court case. You can't get up and say he was bad. You wouldn't win the court case next week, and you wouldn't make millions of dollars off of it. You have to act like he's good. Who cares what the facts say? He's good. This is the world that we're living in, y'all. Y'all know I'm telling the truth right now. You know you're sitting back scratching your head going, ain't nobody thought he was good until he died. It's a plague in our culture. It's a plague in our world. It's deceptive. And ladies and gentlemen, we've got to figure out what the word good really means because we're banking our eternity off of a definition that we don't ask God for. Help us, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Why do we say our world is a mess and people are hurting people all around us every day and the news is telling us how bad everything is every day. It causes you to be depressed and sad and take pills. We all know the world has darkness everywhere. But yet at every funeral you go to, this person's in heaven. They were good. If the world is so bad, why are our funerals always so good? Anybody else kind of thought that? everyone's talking about how bad the world is, yet every time you go to a funeral, we talk about how good they were and how they're dancing on the streets of gold, hang, hanging out with Jesus and all the apostles. Just last week, you cussed him out to his face, said he was a demon and a bad person and all that, but now today we got him in church and he's an angel. Is anybody else confused? We don't want to talk about this. You know why? Because when we're mourning and we're hurting, we just want to try to focus on the positive. But guess what? There's no casket down here today. I'm going to talk about it today, okay? I might not bring it up at the next funeral that comes up. I might just go ahead and skip over and go to the good stuff. But today, while you're still alive, i got to preach about this. 
I got to talk about it while there's hope, while you're breathing, before you get in that ground, before it's too late. I've got to talk about this subject today because too many people say that they're good, but they're not according to God's definition. As long as we continue to live in Satan's fantasy land, we will continue to be silent about the plan of salvation to our family and our friends, watching good people live and die without hearing the truth. If we're going to throw the terms good and bad around and use them to seal our eternal fates, we need to dig deeper into the Word of God. Eternity is hinging on this generic, loosely defined word called good. The question we will answer today is, will good people go to heaven? And in order to do that today, we will look into a perfect biblical conversation that Jesus had with a wealthy, law-abiding ruler. Verse 18, Matthew 19. And he said to him, which ones should I obey? And Jesus began to answer in our text, uh, these are the things you've got to make sure you do right. And then he got excited and said, good, I do those things. What's else left? And Jesus then added on, if you want to be complete, go sell what you have and give to the poor, and then you'll have treasure forever, not just treasure for 80 years. Come and follow me. But Mark clarified in his gospel account in Mark 10, 21, then Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, one thing you lack. Let me just break it down for you. He loved him, and then he said, one thing you're missing. He loved him, and then told him the truth. He loved him, and then tell him what he wanted to hear. He loved him, and then said, you're missing something. Y'all catching that? Forget what you heard. Forget what you think. The Word of God says, if you love somebody, you tell them the truth. If you love somebody, you tell them how they can be saved. If you truly love somebody, you're not afraid to tell them the truth. He loved him. And then he busted his bubble. Because true love will tell you what you're lacking to be saved. That's what I'm trying to do today. One thing you lack, go your way, sell whatever you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Come, take up your cross, follow me. Luke's testimony was very similar in Luke 18, 22. So when Jesus heard these things, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell all you have, distribute to the poor. You'll have treasure in heaven. Come and follow me. Verse 22 of Matthew 19, let's keep going in our text story. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. It is possible for Jesus to preach the truth, to love people, and there to be a testimony that you hurt my feelings. Are we in the Word today? We think that the ministry of Jesus left everybody always eating cookies and pie, having a good time, like he's amazing. But here we have a story where a man walked away, and he had a testimony of sorrow after he went to church. Some people leave church sad. That doesn't mean Jesus did a bad job. I'm going to measure this ministry off of how happy everybody is all the time. I'm not. I'm going to measure the ministry of Jesus in the Spirit, making sure everybody's happy. That's, that's a damnable doctrine. When everybody's trying to be happy, you're deceived all the time. You're not talking truth. That's not of God. That's not real. We've got to make sure we are honest and we're truthful. We're the people of truth. We've got to speak the truth, even if it makes people walk away sorrowful. 
Our current day doctrine says, say whatever you got to say to keep them there. Jesus told them the truth, risking them leaving. Y'all, we got to do this biblical. Everybody thinks they know how to grow the church. Jesus knows how to grow the church. Ain't nobody down the road going to give me advice. The word of God is my advice. The word of God says do it this way. Preach the truth. Uh, some people won't want to hear it. Uh, some people will walk away complaining. Some will walk away sad. But that doesn't mean the ministry was wrong. Yeah. So, so he's sad. In verse 23, Jesus says to his disciples, because he left, and now he's talking to his disciples. Assuredly, I say to you that it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And again, I say to you, it's easier for a camel, y'all know how big those are, right? A camel, to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Now we find where Jesus used something public to teach on it in private. This is important because in our current day of sensitivity, if you talked about somebody to your team behind their back, they would call it wrong. Jesus used a story of ministry to teach his disciples in a private setting. That's not gossip. That's called training. Are we still in the Bible? He gave him a word. He didn't like it. He walked away sorrowful. And then he turns around and talks about the guy behind his back, but not to hurt the man, to help the disciples. See in the scripture here? The man had no problem following the commandments that helped him gain earthly possessions. His struggle, this is important, watch this, catch this. His struggle was with the commandments that caused him to lose earthly possessions. He had no problem honoring his father and his mother because he would get an inheritance. Some of y'all need to learn from that. When mom and dad die, if they don't like you, you don't get their house. They'll leave it to some stranger. They ain't going to spoil my kids. You don't steal because if you steal, you go to jail, and you can't make a lot of money and have a good life in jail. Every commandment that he performed benefited him on the earth. He looked holy because he'd never been tested before. He looked righteous. He looked good because everything he performed came back and blessed him. But now, a new commandment, a commandment where you don't get blessed, a commandment where you've got to love somebody that's a liability, a commandment where you've got to give away to stuff to people that don't deserve it, a commandment that when you get done, you lose and they win, and that kind of commandment, he wasn't ready to live. I'm not preaching yet to anybody in this place. You can say amen because you're human. It's all right. I'm preaching to myself too. We think that being good is the same as being godly, but it's not. Here's the truth. You're not good unless you're godly. It's not godly. Whatever you're doing, it's not good. If it's not godly, it's not good to God. So how do you make sure you get the definition of good the definition of good according to God is anything that is godly to God is good. It might not benefit you in this life, but it will in the next. You see, goodness is what we do to get something out of other people. 
Godliness is what we do to lose something for other people. Goodness is what you do because you might get something in return. You winked at her, she winked at you. You're, you're winking to get a wink. You fix their fence, they fix your fence. You borrow mustard, you get eggs. You can have the mustard, I'll take the ketchup next week. We do good things because we know it would be ridiculous to live in a life doing bad things and paying the consequences. So we do good things so we have a good life on the earth. But godliness says, can you do something good that will never bless you back? Godliness says, can you do something good for somebody that can't bless you back? Godliness says, go die on a cross for somebody that can't give you anything back. That's God's definition of goodness. We're not good unless we're godly. Study the beginning of the story and find out the foundation. I didn't think I'd give it to you. I haven't taught it yet, but let me teach it now. Matthew 19 and 16, the beginning of my text. Now, behold, one came to him and said, good teacher, what good things shall I do that I may it in inherit or have eternal life. Luke recorded that this man was a ruler, a man of prestige and power. Mark recorded this man chased after Jesus and fell down and asked what he could do to be saved. This is interesting because just before this moment in the Bible, the disciples were trying to stop children from coming to Jesus. But this upset Jesus, and he corrected them, saying, let them come. And even in Luke, it was added, whosoever, in 18 and 17 Luke, whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child shall in no wise enter therein. It seems as if this ruler heard this and then proceeded to seek Jesus, not as a ruler, not as a rich man, but as a child. For the Bible says he bowed down before Jesus in humility and in submission. He refers to Jesus as a good master or a teacher, a good teacher. And notice how Jesus responds in verse 19 and 17 of Matthew. Why are you calling me good? You think I'm just a teacher? You think I'm just a man? There's no good thing in men. There's no goodness in man. No man can be good. But I'm going to tell you where the goodness comes from, sir. The goodness does not come from my humanity. The goodness comes from my deity. The goodness you see in me is not from my flesh. It's not from my humanity, but the goodness you sense. And the goodness you see is from my Father. It's from the Spirit. It's from the deity. It's from the godliness and the righteousness and the holiness. You want to see goodness? You need to see the God. You're not good if you're not godly. You're just not good. If you're not godly, no one is good, just God. You see, Jesus was not calling himself bad. He was actually calling himself God. The ruler saw good in Jesus, and Jesus did not deny that he saw that. He simply clarified that the good that you're discerning is not from my humanity. Yeah, I'm good, but it's not this flesh that's good. It's not this body. It's not this human element. It's the God element. It's the God in me. This is the big revelation today I want everyone to catch about being good by God's definition. If it's not godly, it's not good. If it doesn't push one toward godliness, it's not a good thing. Don't brag about it. 
if it does not help you get closer to Jesus, ladies and gentlemen, it's not good, and I can't celebrate with you. I don't care if Johnny scored a, 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 a touchdown, if Johnny can't get up in the altar and pray. It ain't good. You think it's good because your son's not going to be made fun of. But you know what? There's a lot of preachers today that were made fun of that they became preachers because God had to heal them of all that happened in school. And we've lost a lot of our kids because they got in sports and they became popular. God's definition is different than yours. God's definition is different than yours. You say it's good because i got a career. Does that career help you walk with God? Or does it pull you out of church? Let's celebrate your graduation certificate. I'm a, I've got a career now. This is what I'm doing. But yet now because of your career, you said it was good. We had cake. But now you can't go to church anymore. God does not call that good because it's not godly. If it's not godly, then it's not good. Why are we celebrating good things that aren't godly? We can't do it, y'all. We can't do it anymore. We are celebrating people away from God. We're rejoicing people away from the cross. We're rejoicing people out of heaven. We're celebrating accomplishments that are good in the earth, but they're bad for eternity. And the church has got to rise up and find its voice again and begin to tell your family and your friends, if it doesn't draw you to Jesus, I will not celebrate this. If it doesn't pull you to salvation, I can't be happy for you. I know in your mind it's good, but not in my God's mind. Kind of like somebody telling a joke at work and you just go, hmm. You can't laugh at that, can you? They think it's good, but you know better. You know, don't you hate it when people are celebrating things that are ungodly and you got to act like you, like you care, but you don't? Because the whole time you're like, I don't believe in this. Why am I celebrating? Oh, good job. When will the church rise up and say, I don't agree? When will we get our boldness and say, I'm not happy about that? You know why? Because I care about you. I want you to be godly. I want you to go to heaven one day. I want you to be saved. I'm not celebrating something that you call good that pulls you away from Jesus. I refuse to be a part of a celebration that is good, but not by God's definition. Help us, Jesus. Will good people be saved? Yes. But the most important question is, are you good? Yes, good people will be saved, but not by your definition of good, not by your grandmas, your grandpas, your family, or your friends, not even by just your preacher, but by God's. For the Word of God tells us that His Word will judge us one day. You hear that? Not your coworkers, not your family, not the people that you paid for dinner all the time and you think they're so great, not the people that told you you're sweet and you're handsome and you're great, not the people of the world, not the people. The book will do it. The book will judge us. Jesus will judge us by his godness, by his holiness, by his righteousness. That's going to be the measurement that we are judged by. I don't want to just be good by the world's standards. I want to make sure that I'm godly by his standards. Because if not, I'll be lost, and you'll be lost. You see, things in your life can feel good and be bad for you. Y'all believe that? Kind of like ice cream. I love me some ice cream. Anybody ever gone to Lick yet? It's a place called Lick. It has a big old cow. Yeah. I think they're in with Chick-fil-A because it has a cow somewhere. Yeah. That's true. They're open on Sundays. Pray for them. And... uh Boy, lick is good. 
I love me some ice cream. I'm an ice cream guy. I could eat ice cream anytime. It is so good, especially in Texas. Oh, man, give me some ice cream all year long. But it can, be, it can, it can, it can, feel, it can feel good and be bad. <laughs> a new house might not be good if you can't afford it. Feels good to walk into it, but when you can't afford it and you can't, you can't afford to, to give to the kingdom, but you got your nice house, I can't celebrate with you. happy for me, Pastor? Maybe. Let's see. Yeah. Pastor, I got me a house. Yeah. It's, uh, it's in Odessa. It's over here far away. It's over here in Paris, Texas. It's over here in Louisiana. Are you happy? No. You can't make that drop. Does it support your mission? Does it support your passion? Does it support your calling? If it doesn't help you do the things of God, your ministry and your mission, then why are we celebrating? We've got to learn to celebrate over the will of God, over what God wants for our ministries, wants for our salvation, not just because other people celebrate. We don't celebrate like other people do. Our definition of good is different. It might not be good for you even though it feels good. A new job might not be good if it helps you make money, but it stresses you out all the time, locking you down all the time. I can't celebrate about that. A relationship might feel good, but if it pulls you out of church, I can't celebrate your relationship. Pastor, aren't you glad someone finally loves me? Well, I don't know about that. They definitely lust for you, but I don't know if they love you yet. I can't celebrate that yet because if they pull you out of the kingdom, then this was not good. This was not godly, and we've got to make sure we change the definition of what we call good. And God's definition of good can be good for you and then feel bad at the same time. Do we agree that God is good? Everybody agree? Can we just settle that? Okay. He said, Jesus said, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He said, I only do what the Father tells me to do. Okay? So that means everything Jesus did in Scripture was the Father manifested. Are we on the same page? Can I tell you what your good, good Father did? Yeah. When he ignored the questions one time from the local authorities at the police station, and he didn't want to cooperate with his arrest. Sounds kind of rude, doesn't it? Jesus thought you were good. Remember that time he ran from the religious mafia who were trying to catch him and turn him in? He was on the run, y'all. He was, he was on the run from the police. Not my God. He's a good God. Your good God ran from the police. Remember that time that your good God, your good, good, you're a good, good father. That's who you are. We can just sing that right now. Remember that time your good, good father spit on the blind man's eye? Jesus, where are you? Will you help me? He's like, sure. Thanks, Jesus. That feels great. I didn't even know it was dirty. Can you imagine the entire crowd there being like, this Jesus is crazy. That, no one, that's probably when they were like, he's got a devil. It's okay. He's got a devil. That's probably the moment they were like, we're going to kill him for sure now. He just spit in the blind guy's face. But if you, if you let Jesus finish what he does, he healed the blind man. You see, we judge Jesus. We judge the church. We judge the preacher in the middle of the process. Not at the end. 
Go talk to someone who let us finish. Go talk to someone who Jesus finished. Go talk to someone who got through the process on the other side of the process that God blessed them. Quit getting your information from people who are in the middle of the process because all you're going to hear is the trash talk. I didn't plan on saying that. I just, that was for free today. Yeah, that's the Holy Ghost speaking right now to somebody. Our good, good father kicked out people out of a room who had no faith so a miracle could take place. Can you imagine me coming and be like, you got to go, you, you, get out, you, don't have faith, you're out, you're out, you're out. Okay, now we can have a miracle. We'd have a miracle and we'd have lost half our church. God would have probably brought twice as many because of the miracle, but that's what would happen in our culture. Because we can't handle that kind of stuff. We're, we're all hurt and sensitive. We don't, we don't want to fight for stuff. And so this is what our good, good father did. I'm trying to teach you about our good, good father. Because we're all like, well, I want to be good like God. This is your God. He did stuff like this sometimes. And they had a miracle. He used the bullwhip. That's a fun one. Remember that story? That's the one everybody loves. He turned over tables on the temple. It's hard for me to imagine Jesus. You see, like, little sweet Jesus over there in the corner praying for people. All of a sudden, he's just like, nope. It's just hard to imagine Jesus. He turned over the tables in the temple, and he used the bullwhip to kick everybody out of the temple, y'all. Y'all can't even imagine that. I can't even imagine that. Like, I would like to see that just to be like, oh, okay, yeah, that's, that's Jesus. He did it. The Bible said it. He did it. He actually ran people out of a temple, like literally running and screaming and, no, Jesus is going to kill us. And he ran them out of the temple. Why did he do it? He did it because they weren't using that space for the true purpose of God. You're a good, good father. It's who you are. It's who you are. To you. You're a good, good father. Breaking guitars. Oh man. We love the we love the Lamb of God. We hate the Lion of Judah. This is called godliness. And godliness offends sometimes. Godliness stirs stuff up sometimes. And the devil wants to call the current day church mean and abusive and that we don't love people when you're just going to say the same thing about Jesus. They said it about him, they're going to say it about us. They're going to say it about me, and it is going to get probably worse. It's going to happen, y'all, because when you start to stir stuff up in the spirit, the devil gets mad and flesh comes out and you hear all kinds of stuff. But it still can be good and feel bad. Jesus called people vipers, y'all. I've made some mistakes, but I, I've never done that. I've never been in counseling session, but like, you know what you are? You're a viper. Big old nasty snake. That's who you are. That's who you are. That's who you are. I ain't never done that. These days, you just hint about something. They're like, what did you mean? Did you mean something? That's it. I'm gone. I didn't even get to say it yet. Jesus went straight to the point. He was like, viper. And they were like, we're going to kill you. <laughs> and they did. Jesus called people whitewashed tombs. That's like street talk back in Bible days. I don't know. I don't even want to try to come up with a phrase that y'all use these days because I'm out of the loop. I'm, I'm not down with it, as the kids say on the streets. 
But he called them whitewashed tombs. He called people graveyards to their face, y'all. Why did he do it? He was trying to awaken their blindness and their deafness. He was trying to save a perverse generation. And love couldn't always be sweet and pretty. Sometimes love had to shake it, stir it. You know who loved me the most? People like Angelica and Diane, people that are new, they think I'm amazing. You know people get mad at me the most? The religious folks. You have no idea what that, where's she at? I don't see her. Your sister, she's somewhere. Anyways, one, one of y'all did a post on Facebook, and you tagged me. Elizabeth did. You have no idea what that meant to me. You, you helped me so much that day. Thank you for saying that and testifying about about my impact in your life. Because sometimes as pastors, you got a lot of religious folks that are talking, but it's nice to have somebody brand new that comes and says, no, I see the good. I see the good things you're doing. I see the blessings. I feel the help. Thank you so much for that testimony. It helped me. Jesus, the good, good father, referred to a Samaritan woman as a symbolic dog. Yeah. He was like, what do I have to do with you, dog? That actually sounds kind of cool if you think about it. What's up, dog? <laughs> Hey, Dante, what's up, Doc? But he didn't mean it like street slang, like cool. He meant it like, like for real, like people think you're a dog. Y'all, church would have been over with. But why did he do that? Jesus did that to unlock her responsive faith so she could access the miraculous. Jesus did something uncomfortable to stir her to a point that it made her rise up and say, oh, yeah, I'm a dog. At least the dogs get the crumb from the master's table. He said, that's what I'm hoping for. He's a good, good father. Even when it feels bad, even when it feels like you're in trouble, he's a good father. That's, good. That's called good, y'all. It's time we get back in the book, all our judging, and find out what the truth is about the word good. Mm. Prophet Isaiah said it like this in Isaiah 5 and 20. Woe to those who call evil good and good. That's a thing. Y'all know that? You can be doing good and be classified as evil. Who do y'all believe? Who's right? Well, people call me evil. I thought I was good. Do y'all know that in the last days the church is going to be called evil? You can't put us in jail by calling us good. You can't be, we love Austin Burr shirt. They're so sweet. They give to the poor. They love each other. We're going to go put them in jail. They're going to say, hate crime. They don't like people. They exclude people. I'm like, look around. No exclusions going on up in here today. In the last days, they're going to call us evil so they can come against us. And we're going to be good when they do it. Don't fall for the trick, church family. There are people that will go around calling preachers and saints and you evil. You've done nothing wrong. So get ready for it. Because that is the darkness. Woe, warn me those who do that, who put darkness for light and light for darkness. They call light dark. They claim that they're in the light, but they're in the dark. 
That's the spirit of the age. Verse 21, woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and are prudent in their own sight, but not in God's sight, not by his definition. Be careful, believers of the last days, be careful, because what you see is not what you get. It can look good and be demonic. 2 Corinthians 11 and 14 says, and no wonder, for Satan himself transformed himself into an angel of light. You still calling things good that you thought were good? Did you know that our, our enemy, the devil, can look like he's an angel on the surface and have an evil intention in the heart? You've got to stop being tricked in the last days by pretty things. God, protect us from pretty things. My ministry's not getting prettier. My ministry's not going to be prettier. My ministry's going to dig and get dirty. It's going to get to the place where people are living, where the junk is at. You don't want a pretty preacher. You don't want a pretty pastor. You want somebody that shines the light and reveals the secret things so that we can make it to heaven. I'm going to tell you right now, be warned of the pretty preachers. Be warned of the ones that you like that never make a mistake. Be warned of the ones who shine like they've got it all together. Be warned of the ones who have it all looking good on the outside because the devil is beautiful on the surface. The devil wants to give you the desires of your sinful flesh and, and call himself your friend. Y'all think that the devil wants to come scare us with horns and a pitchfork? You wouldn't. Every time y'all text me or tell me at night that you got attacked by the devil, it's usually a scary moment, not a pretty moment. He's not dancing to the room giving you $100 bills just like, oh, Money, money, free stuff. When the devil comes in and y'all want my help in prayer, it's because he's scary and big and mean and nasty. That's when we know he's there. What about the other ten times he's dressed up like an angel? I'm good, Pastor. Everything's fine. I don't have any problems. Do you know who your enemy is? Our enemy gets more with sugar than he does sour. Be not deceived in the last days, church family. It can look good and be bad for you. It can look sweet, it can look angelic, it can look like it's from heaven, and it can be wrong. Don't look at it, listen to it. Does it line up with the Word of God? If it doesn't line with the Word of God, you've been deceived, you've been tricked. You've got to stop using your senses and use faith. Help us, God, to get rid of our flesh in the last days. Help us, God, to quit being so sensual, picking churches off how pretty stuff is that. We drive by big buildings and go, I think I'm going to go to that church. Don't pick it off the pretty stuff. Don't pick it off all the straight teeth and all the perfect on the outside. Pick it off the truth, the truth of God's Word. That's the church I want to go to. I don't want pretty. I want what's right. The devil wants to convince you that he's being good to you and this is good for you. And that's what he did with Adam and Eve. He tried to help them. He wants to tell you that God and the pastor and the holy saints are bad to you. That's what he wants to tell you. But Proverbs 27 and 6 says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Your real friends are willing to wound you if it saves you. You hear me today? Your real friends are willing to wound you and lose their relationship with you if it gives you a better chance at having one with Jesus. Your real friends will put themselves on the cross and take the hit and take the cross and take the pain so that you can have a better shot at going to heaven. Who are your real friends today? 
Pastor, it's uncomfortable talking to them about it. Yes, it is. And yes, they deserve it. It's uncomfortable talking to my children. It's uncomfortable talking to that saint about that problem we have. It's uncomfortable. I don't, I don't, I don't want to get dirty because I care about me more than them. But Jesus said, lay your life down for your friends. Hurt yourself for them. Go to the meeting anyway and have it anyway and take the hits anyway. That's what Jesus said to do. Your real friends are willing to wound you if it saves you. I had somebody tell me recently that their, uh, their dad was in danger of being lost. And I said, tell them that they need to get to church. And they said, but they won't like it if I tell them that. <laughs> no, they won't. But it's still the truth. And I know it hurts, but love is willing to get hurt so that the person who's at the end of their life has hope and we've got to stop being so selfish and we've got to go to people in love and tell them the truth and tell them if they don't get it right that they won't have any chance. Don't stand by somebody's casket regretting the fact that you were quiet because you didn't want to be uncomfortable. I'm so thankful for what God is doing in our church. Just a few side notes before we close today. We had someone the other day kind of kind of partially gossip a little to somebody else, and that's okay. It, it happens. God's going to help us get through it. And, and the member said to that other person, he said, listen, I'm, I'm not going to do this. I'm going to put my foot down, and I'm not going to do this. The other person got a little, a little bit upset, but guess what? I heard a good report. At the end of all that, when things settled down, the one who kind of was a little, little gossipy, kind of uh, saw it, realized it, and contacted that friend back and said, you're right, I'm going to change, I'm going to do better. You don't have to lose your friends by telling the truth. Your real friends won't leave when you preach the truth. You find out who your real friends are whenever you stand up for Jesus in front of them and say, in my house and around me, we don't do it that way. I want to be your friend. Hey, y'all, people want friends like that. People are sick of fake friends that love themselves more than they love them. People want you to be honest with them more these days. You can't run off somebody hungry for God. Pastor, I'm so afraid I'm going to run somebody off. You can't run somebody off. You're not God. All you can do is love them, and you can stand your ground, and you can be honest. And that right there, hear this devil, that's what a real friend looks like. There's going to be a whole lot more real friends happening at AFC in the future. I personally have had a lot of meetings. Most of the meetings recently, they end amazing. God is blessing. I've had several successful open-hearted meetings this past week even that were so beautiful and so powerful Men in our church that are talking, and it, it, it makes me so thankful for what God is doing in individuals, things I, don't, I can't always tell you that are good things. The ones that open up for advice and listen, they, they seem to get better even if it hurts them in that moment. The ones that don't get mad and, and often tell others to try to help their guilt, that's what happens. They get mad sometimes in those meetings, and they'll tell others because they, they feel guilty, and they've got to get somebody on their side to help them with their guilt. But can I get the ones... At AFC, where things are ending good for you and going good for you, like the other day, Sister Marissa was telling me, God has been blessing her and God's been helping her, Mendez, 
been helping her, and she was testifying at VBS, like, God is so good, and it was so good to see the light on her and the power, but I know that there's been some struggles in her past. There's been some difficult days. We've, we've had our conversation, sister, haven't we? But you know what? It's so beautiful to see how God has produced this amazing woman of God right here. We give her honor today. It hasn't always been easy, but if you stick with the process, God will bless you. And now she's starting to see who my real friends are. I hope that she knows that we are her real friend. Thank you, Lord. Brother Bobby, I had a great time this week with him. Brother Bobby, we've been praying for him for a long time. He has his situation, his life, his faith has been the most challenging. It's no surprise to many of our church, he comes up here, he's very open about it. He wants God to help him and touch him. He's been through a lot. But last night we had a meeting, and I felt for the first time in five years a complete release of the prophetic word of God into his life. For the first time after many meetings, after many meetings, I felt a breakthrough in the Holy Ghost in Brother Bobby Ballard's life. As, as I was speaking to him, Brother Bobby, a tear began to come down his eye. It wasn't a tear of fear. It wasn't a tear of sadness. It was the moving of the Spirit of God, and God began to create a wedge in on something that many thought would be impossible. We're starting to see an edge, a glimmer of light, a glimmer of hope. Do you know why? Because we refuse to quit. We keep chipping away. We keep fighting together. We keep digging together. He keeps coming to my office. I'll be honest with you, it's probably no secret, Brother Bobby, it's been very difficult on me, but you've been worth every second. I haven't met with probably anybody more than you, but you're going to become one of the greatest testimonies and victories at AFC when this is over. In Jesus' name. What am I trying to do right now? I'm trying to tell you, don't quit. I know it's not easy. There's going to be times when it's confusing. There was times where the Bobby and I were sitting here looking across the table like, I don't know, I don't know, and it's confusing. You don't know if you're going to win, but you keep coming, and you keep praying, and we don't quit, and eventually we will see a victory. The people that are losing aren't still coming back for more. We can meet again and again and again, and as long as it takes, we will have victory. Get through everything. There's nothing I'm afraid of fixing if we'll take time to fix it. Who are your real friends? Who's really good to you is what the Holy Ghost is asking us. Pastor, why would my enemy give me kisses? Some of y'all have had kisses from your enemy, hadn't you? Don't say amen. If you're... Don't say it too loud if you're sitting beside him. You get more with sugar than you do with sour and the reason why your enemy is good to you is because your enemy is trying to get something out of you. So be careful, saints of God, on the last days of everybody trying to help you. Because just because they're trying to help you don't mean they're trying to help you. They might just be trying to help you so that you can help them. This is how enemies work. That doesn't mean when they're good to you that it's going to go bad because obviously your friends are good to you too. The difference is... Your enemy will sweeten you up, give you sugar, and eventually 
They'll attack you. Deception can only work when it looks like you are getting something good out of the deal. The devil can't take you to hell showing up like a snake all the time. He's got to come in there and act like he cares about you. Do not fall for the trick in the last days where you think someone cares about you, but they're not willing to give everything up for you. It's always a conditional trade. I'll help you if you help me. That is not the spirit of God. That's the spirit of good. That's you trying to do something to get something. And we've got to be careful of the enemies and deceivers in the last days. Good is not a look. Don't be tricked by smooth-talking salesmen, even the ones in church. Don't be fooled by the act. God is not a look. Good is not a look. Good is an investment. Our world is filled with people who do good things because you get more out of life by helping than hurting. It's the law of the harvest. You help somebody, they help you. But the major difference in the devil's definition of good and God's is this word called reciprocation. Jesus told the rich ruler, if you want to be good like godly good, go invest in something that cannot bless you back. That's the word for our church right now. If you truly want to be godly, stop counting what you're going to get out of it when you do it. Help us, Holy Ghost, right now to be godly. Help us, God, to put that in every saint of this church right now. We stop counting the cost of what we get out of it, and we start thinking, who cares what I get out of it? I get heaven out of it. I may not get my stuff. I may not get my good feelings, but I'm going to get a crown on my head. I'm going to get treasure in eternity. I'm going to get good things walking on those streets of gold. Reciprocation. Love somebody who may never love you back. Godly. Serve somebody who may never serve you back. It's called godliness. Fast to be more like God, not to always get something from God. Woo, hallelujah. Speak to us, Jesus. Pray to know God, not to just get something earthly like a new car. One of these days, the Bible says that the saved will hear these words, well done, thy good. Wait a minute. No, 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 surely thy good. Is there anything added to that? Wait a minute. Well, that doesn't make any sense. I thought I just had to be good to go to heaven. No. Well done, thy good and you're not done. Good isn't good enough. You're not truly going to make it into heaven until you become more than good, but you become faithful. It don't matter if you're good if you never hear. It don't matter if you're only good when you feel like being good. It doesn't matter when you're good when everything's going good. Goodness is pointless if you're not there. That's why you've got to be good and faithful. It doesn't matter if you're good and faithful if you don't want to serve people. Because you've got useful talents and ability. You're there, but you just sit there and don't serve. And that's why the Bible says that we're going to be saved whenever he says, well done, thy good, faithful servant. Good, faithful servant. When we stand over your casket one day, Austin First Church, we need to see good, faithfulness, 
and service. You can't pay enough tithes to get me to change my mind when I stand over your casket. You can't buy the preacher out with your money, with your friendship, to make me get up here and try to put you in heaven. Don't put me in that position. I'm telling you now while you're alive, you've heard the word. Become good. Be faithful and serve others. So that whenever you're standing, while I'm standing here and you're laying there, I can say without, with, without any doubt that you are good by God's definitions, that you were faithful. You weren't perfect, but you were faithful. And that you served other people. In my clothes today, the rich ruler left that day sad when he found out that real goodness was godliness. Real goodness was obeying the word of God and becoming holy and righteous. Real goodness was defined by God, not by man. That you're not good if it doesn't draw you into Jesus and help you be saved and become like him. He was sad because it was a giving spirit. It was a selfless spirit. It was loving the liabilities, getting nothing in return. That's good. But then look what happened. In Matthew 19 and 23, then Jesus said to his disciples, Assuredly, I say to you that it's hard for a rich man to go to heaven, the camel to go through the eye of the needle. Yeah. But then in verse 25, when his disciples heard it, they were greatly astonished, saying, Well, then who can be saved if it's that impossible? Jesus responded and said, With men, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Even the most impossible case can be saved. The riches of the rich can come to God. And this got Peter thinking. Look what he said in verse 27. See, we have left all and followed you. What are we going to get? That guy has everything I'd ever want in the world. We gave it all up. We're going to live our life poor? We're going to live our life with no possessions? It kind of triggered him a little bit, kind of made the disciples think a little bit. It was kind of like, hey, I got a question, Jesus. We're serving you, and we've given up everything. What do we get out of the deal? A little bit of doubt came in. Is it worth it? Look how Jesus responded in verse 28. Jesus said to them, assuredly, you can just go ahead and take it to the bank, assuredly. I say to you that in the regeneration when the Son of Man sits on the throne of his glory. You who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or even your father or even your mother or even your wife or even your You want to know what you're going to get? If you do it for my name's sake, you shall receive 100 times what you had in this life. You shall inherit eternal life. You shall get so much more in the next life than you ever gave up in this life. If you like having nice stuff, give it all up today so you can have much more later. 
Let there be nothing that comes between you and God. Pastor, this message about me being good and godly sounds like I'm going to lose. It does kind of sound like that, doesn't it? But that's why Jesus said, don't worry, because it's going to be worth everything you've got to go through one day. Do you have faith that everything you sacrifice can be worth it one day? Do you have faith that all the hell you're fighting right now is going to be worth it one day? Do you believe that everything you think you lost down here, that God will give you 100 times it up there? Do you have faith to believe that it will be worth it all? Our elders used to believe about it being worth it all. How we're going to go to heaven one day, it's going to be worth it all. Let this generation understand once again that no matter what you give up for Jesus, it will be worth it all. There are some people today in the service that you're sad. How do you know who you are in the message? Because right now, you're sad. Because it's too much of a price that you're willing to pay at this time. But you don't have to leave sad today. You can come to the altar. You can begin to come to the altar. You don't have to leave sorrowful. Some of y'all are sitting there going, I'm not rich. The Bible does not say how much money he had. The Bible said he had enough to not want to serve God. In America, we're all rich, even on government funding. You've got a whole lot more than the majority of people in this world do. It's not about being rich by your definition or the world's definition. It's about having enough stuff to where it pulls at you when the altar call takes place and says, I can't give that up. This is the reason why Jesus told him to sell it because it was his God. This is also the reason why he didn't tell everybody to do it because not everybody has that poison they need to get rid of. But here's the context to the story. Anything that you love more than me, you've got to give. Anything that keeps you out of church, give it up. Anything that keeps you from praying, give it up. Anything, wife or husband, if it keeps you from being spiritual. I didn't say divorce. See, that's where y'all went. I said stop letting them control your spirit. If you've got to do something like move out for a week or two, whatever you've got to do, get your prayer room built, but you don't let anything, child or husband or brother or sister, come between us who shall separate us from the love of God, neither height nor depth. Nothing shall separate us. Whatever you are holding on to right now that is pulling you away from doing the will of God, give it up. What will I get if I give it up? Eternity. Eternity. 100 times, the best life ever, forever. It's an amazing trade today that God offers the church, that God offers the world, and that is come to the altar and trade in all this little stuff for big stuff. The smartest people in the church and the smartest people in the world are people that say, you can have my car. You can have these relationships. You can have all this stuff I think I need. Just give me Jesus. 
The smartest people in the world are people that go, forget this. I'm not going to go to hell over this stuff. I'm not letting somebody pull me out of church. I'm not letting money or jobs or career get my soul. You can take all of this world. Just give me Jesus. I know there's good people here by the world standards. I know you help your neighbor. I get all that. But are there godly people today? Does godly people do anything to serve God? Good people have a price. Godly people, they've given their life to Jesus. Nobody can pull you out. Nobody can buy you out. Nobody can trick you. You're godly. I want to be godly today because I want to be saved. I want to be good by God's definition because I want to be saved. And I wanted the whole internet and the world. I hope you're sharing this on Facebook when you get a chance. I want people to realize that you're not going to be saved just because you're a good person. We're going to be saved, though, if we'll become godly. Right now, stop thinking about who you helped this week and answer the question, am I godly? But I give to the poor. Yeah, but what if God asks you to give to the rich? I can't do that. Why? You see, you would rather do what looks good and feels good and not what God wants. Godly people don't do what looks good and feels good. Godly people do things in secret. Godly people do things that hurt. That's godliness. Godly people walk across the church and say, Brother, we've had, a, we've had an issue for a long time, and this is uncomfortable, but I want to make it right. That's godliness. That's salvation. That's being ready to go to heaven. It took me a while to preach this message because I knew it would be tough. I knew it would be tough because you're coming against the spirit of this age, ideologies, doctrines that are not right. But our family, our friends, and people here today, you think you're safe, and here's what's scary. You think you can walk out the door without even going to an altar because this is what you think. I'm a good guy, a good lady. Pastor, I'm not a bad guy. But right now, if the Holy Ghost was calling you, would you say yes? That's godliness. The word of God commanded it. Would you do it? That's godliness. Regardless of how you feel or what it costs you, you do it because it's godliness, not goodness, not just being a good guy, godly person. Can we rearrange our entire thought processes for the past decades and say, I've been good, but I haven't been godly? I've helped people and I've talked to people and I've given people things, but I really haven't dove into godliness yet to say, God, you have my heart. Send me, use me, whatever you want. It all belongs to you. It's godliness that God wants. Godliness. How do I get godly? I receive the Holy Ghost. And I let the Holy Ghost move in me and flow through me and I ignore my flesh and I do what's best for the Spirit and the kingdom. That's godliness. I've got to have His Spirit to to be godly. It's not the man that's good. It's not this flesh. It's the Spirit of God. So today in the altar, we ask for people to come be godly. Because good's not good enough. To be faithful. To be a servant. Serve somebody. Well done, thy good and faithful servant. This is the reward. Come on in to heaven. Thank you, Jesus.
Let's lift our hands together right now in Jesus' name. There's some really good people in this place by the world's standards. You are good people by man's definition. But today we must analyze ourselves and make sure before we leave this place that we are good by God's definition. If you say it, I'll do it. If you ask me, I'll do it. If you say give it up, I'll give it up. I'm building a house right now, and I told God, God, all you got to do is just open the door for me to get rid of it. I'll get rid of it. It's yours. If the Lord says to sell my nice new truck and get a used one, I'll do it tomorrow. All I need is a confirmation. Anything I have is God's. Everything I have is the Lord's. It's all His. Because I want to go to heaven. I want to go to heaven. I've been through too much pain to go through pain forever. I've been through too much hurt to go through hurt forever. I'm kind of looking forward to the day I can take a breath on the other side and not worry anymore, not stress anymore, not carry the weight anymore. I can't wait. Oh, hurry and come, Jesus. Come back for the church. I don't have to have that nice vacation. I don't have to have that promotion. I don't have to have my house built. Go ahead and come back right now if you want to, God, because I'm just tired. I refuse to go through hell on this earth and go through hell for eternity. I refuse to sit in church and just be a good person and miss out on being godly. I have totally missed the purpose of the Spirit of God. If I just do things that help me and I do things that bless me, I don't want to do things that bless me, God. I want to do things that you would do. I want to do things that would help others and get nothing in return. Like Brother Dale saying, you know what, we're going to go out here, we're going to cook fajitas, and we're going to do this, and I don't know who's going to come to church, and, and, and nobody came today, and we thought they would, but guess what Dale said? Dale said, I'm going to go back again, and I'm going to do it again. The first thing I thought was, Dale, they may not come to church, but he said, I'm going to go sit in the parking lot until they come. But Dale, are you going to waste your time? That's what godliness does. Godliness does not count the cost of what I get. Godliness just shows up. It's faithful. It's a servant. It might hurt me. It might cost me time. It might cost me money. But I'm going to be godly. I'm going to be good by God's standards. To those of you hearing me, my voice right now, listen to me. Don't enter into eternity just being someone that people like. Enter into eternity being someone God likes. I want to please God. I want to please God. I want to have a walk with God. I want to be right with God. I want to be full of God. I want to do what He asked me to do and not fight Him all the time. I want to take the hits. I want to take the suffering. I want to take the pain because that's godly. Today the altars are open for every single one of you. That's it, Brother Bobby. Come on down here. Get a little closer to Jesus like we talked about. Go ahead and feel after the Spirit of God, Brother Bobby. I open the altar today and I, I take this very seriously. I, I would hope to God that every hungry heart, every person who says, but I'm good, would say, yeah, well now I'm going to be godly. 
I would hope today that the Spirit of God would draw you in to pray like our tradition is. To say, yeah, I'm good. I've got a job and I treat people good and I'm nice, but I want to be more. I want to be godly. I don't want to calculate my goodness off of what I gain. I want to calculate it off of what I lose. Oh, God. (laughs) I ask for nothing in return. Like you, Jesus, who died for while we were yet sinners, you died for us and asked for nothing in return. You never had a promise that we would serve you or worship you, but you still gave for us. I want to be godly. (laughs) I don't want to question what I get out of it. (laughs) I don't want to have to have a reward or a carrot in front of me telling me to do something. I don't want to have to have a threat of hell. I don't want to have to have any kind of coercion. I don't want to have to come to church because someone makes me. I don't want to have to give because someone threatens me. I just want to say, take it. I don't want to have to have my spouse be right for me to be right. I just want to be godly. That's good. That's good. That's good. That's good to God. That's good to God. I don't do bad things, Pastor. But do you do godly things? But Pastor, I don't do bad things. But do you do godly things? That's the measurement of our salvation. And if you will come and bow your knee to Jesus and honor to Him and submission to Him, He will fill you with the Holy Ghost and that spirit of goodness will get inside of you. You know, one of the fruit of the Spirit is goodness. You hear me in the Holy Ghost. You can't truly be good until you have the Holy Ghost because one of the fruit of the Spirit is goodness. That's whenever you push things towards God. That's goodness. It's usefulness. Goodness in the Greek means to be useful. That means to push things towards godliness. When you're around somebody, they become more godly. When you speak, godliness increases. John the Baptist said that he may increase, that, my, that I may decrease, that he may increase, that I may decrease, that he may increase. Godliness is not about my increase. It's about my decrease. Calling all morally good people today to be in the will of God to make sure that you're ready to walk on the streets of gold, the rapture to take place. You're ready for your untimely death that you could not have prepared with a car wreck or cancer or heart attack. In the name of Jesus, it's real life today. We've got to make sure that we bow our hearts and our knees in submission to God and we say, God, I'm tired of letting everybody tell me I'm good. I want to be godly. I want to measure myself off the book. Oh, get that book out and read it copy the words of Jesus. I want to be godly. Jesus, you are baptized. I want to be baptized today before I leave. That's godly. But I'm a good person. doesn't matter. I want to be godly. I don't even know the definition of good if I don't research God. Well, there's only one that's good. That's God. <laughs> so more of you, Jesus. Less of me. More of you, Jesus, and less of me. More time in prayer, less of me. Oh, more time in your presence, Lord, less of me. (laughs) 
Let me buy somebody's meal and not ask anything in return. Oh, yeah. Let me help my neighbor and not ask anything in return. Let me talk to my brother and not ask for them to love me back. I want to be godly. I want to be godly so I can be saved. There is a plan today. There is a hope today. We can have God in us, the hope of glory. Pray until you begin to speak in other tongues as the Spirit flows through you and you have a confirmation of God's Spirit. Pray until you feel godliness inside of you and not just works. For we're not saved by works, we're saved by faith. You can't do a good thing to go to heaven, but you can become like God to go to heaven. I can become like God, yeah. I can become like God. I can surrender my will. I can give up my, my will, and I can become like God. <laughs> oh, who thought about robbery to be equal with God, to take the mind of Christ? I can be like God. <laughs> you can't be good, but you can be godly. And that's what God calls good. <laughs> <laughs>